Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a Bible with you, and that includes, uh, if you have it on your phone, your YouVersion Bible app, which if you don't have, come on, it's free, and I encourage you to download it. Uh, go, let's go ahead and open up to, in the New Testament, I'm going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it's when the church first got started. And I feel like as I read it now, I'm reading it in a different light because as a church planner, now I'm reading the book of Acts, which was really, it's a, if they didn't tell me this when I was growing up, it is a manual for church planting. I didn't know that. But now I know that because this is how it first got started. And so just to give you the, the kind of the, the context and the background of what we're going to read here in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 41 through 47. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's one that I, I personally love. Uh, but what's happening here is that you've got the, the Gospels in the beginning of the New Testament. You've got, you know, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and those are the accounts of disciples that walked with Jesus. And uh, it's the stories of, of Jesus' teaching, his, his miracles, uh, the, the, the story of, of from his birth all the way up to his death and his resurrection. And uh, Jesus had the nerve to tell his disciples one day that it's actually better that I leave you than if I stay with you. Now, I would have disagreed strongly if I was walking in the flesh with Jesus. And he said, hey, I've got to go back to the Father, uh, but it's going to be better for you if I'm not here. And I'm like, how could it possibly be better for me if you're not with me, Jesus? And he said, well, that's because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just going to be a person that walks with you. The Holy Spirit will be me living inside of you. And so it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, I will be with you, inside of you, encouraging you, empowering you to do the things that you don't have the ability to do on your own. And so, you know, that, that's a pretty good argument. It's coming from Jesus, so I'm going to take his word for it. So we get, we get into the book of Acts, and in chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2, we see the very thing that Jesus promised happen. We see the Holy Spirit gets poured out in a very supernatural way on the early church because he said, don't do what I've, what I've commissioned you to do and called you to do without the power that I'm giving you to do it. And I think uh, on a side note, there's a lot of times where we get ahead of Jesus because we're out there trying to do good things and we're trying to do what we feel like God's called us to do, but we're doing it on our own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit. And even if you want to do God's work without God's power, you won't succeed. Even more importantly, you will actually end up doing damage instead of doing good things and uh, things that build the kingdom of God. And so they waited, and the Holy Spirit got poured out, and it says that they actually began to, to spill out of the upper room where they were, and there was such a dynamic, supernatural atmosphere that the people that were observing what was happening to them accused them of being drunk. And uh, I'm like, wow, well, that must have been some good stuff that was going on that morning. And, uh, and it says they spilled out into the streets, and there was something supernatural taking place, and, and they were speaking in other tongues, and it was being understood by people from other nations who were there for a specific holiday, and they heard their, their, uh, God's name being praised in their native tongue by these individuals who didn't know their other language. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's supernatural. There's amazing things happening. And it says that at that moment, Peter, uh, and if you, if, you, if you spend any time reading through the Gospels and kind of how Jesus interacted with some of his disciples, Peter is the most entertaining one to follow. Peter, was all, he, he had a potty mouth, man. He, was a, he, he would curse like a sailor. He would put his foot in his mouth. He would yell at Jesus, and Jesus just shaking his head. He, at one point, he even chops off a dude's ear. I mean, Peter has potentially anger issues. 
It doesn't say that specifically. But Peter's always the one that ended up kind of being in the awkward moment where Jesus either had to shake his head or correct him or be like, come on, man, are you for real? Again, Peter. But Peter, in this moment, now filled with the Spirit of God inside of him, not the Spirit of Peter, he stands up and he begins to proclaim the name of Jesus and preach to this crowd. And in verse 41, this is what it says. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. How many of you know that 3,000 people getting saved and baptized is a good launch Sunday for a church? <laughs> baby steps. Baby, that's what I'm telling myself, baby steps. We'll get there. But after the church started, how many of you know it's important what you do next? Okay, we, we loaded the gun, we pulled the trigger, boom, now what? It is so important once you start a thing to know what you need to do next to grow a thing. And so immediately in the next few verses, it said that all the believers, somebody say all. Uh, I learned this in Bible college. It's a very specific word in the original language. When you translate all, listen to this, it means, it means all. I've been saying that for so long, and it's still good. I love it. Anyway, all the believers devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And it says, a deep sense of awe came over, uh, came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, sold their property and possessions, and shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, which for them would have been the context of meeting as a church. And, lost my place, and they met, come on, get there, in homes. Thank you. Good job, Craig. Uh, for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Listen to this. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship or added to their church those who were being saved. Father, we ask that in the moments that we have uh, today, just these brief moments that we have together to dive into your word, I pray that for every single one of us that we would just, uh, just remove distractions, God, that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our heart. God, we want to hear what you're saying. We want to receive what you're trying to show us. And no matter who we are here, God, no matter what of our, whatever our background is, whether we're not even there yet, we're not sure we believe this old, this Christian thing, this Jesus thing, or whether we've been walking with you for years, God, I pray that we would be able to just take a moment to put down our barriers and put down our walls and say, okay, God, if, if you're real, whoever you are, I want to hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? amen. Or as I was saying before, today's message is titled The Foundation. Uh, this is going to be part one in a, a series that we're going to do called For the Culture. Uh, For the Culture is, if, you, if you've never heard that phrase, it's kind of a pop culture reference that, uh, that has become, you know, a little bit more well used in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Uh, but basically it's meaning that if there's something going on in the culture that maybe you're a part of, that you're willing to do what it takes for the culture to benefit the culture, even if it doesn't necessarily benefit you. Uh, or even when it comes to, on a different angle, a sense of popularity, maybe there are things that are engaged in a particular culture that you wouldn't necessarily do or wouldn't necessarily participate in, but you'll do it because it's for the culture. And, and I kind of want to, if I can take the liberty within our culture and hijack this phrase, because I love this phrase, because there is so much that has to do with a culture that is so important to who you're going to be and what you're going to be a part of. And, uh, and so I want to kind of give another definition 
uh, uh, for the culture. And this is what I'm going to be using as a definition for this phrase. It is devoting ourselves to what accomplishes God's mission in and through our lives. It's for the culture. Devoting ourselves to what accomplishes God's mission in and through our lives. Um, in the series, you know, we're, we're not going to have the time to necessarily go through every single scripture and story uh, where people who seek after their own interest always end up empty and lonely. Uh, we're not necessarily going to have the opportunity to look at every single moment in the Bible where people that sought their own kingdom always ended up falling short instead of seeking after God's kingdom. We're not necessarily going to be able to dive into all the intricacies of how Jesus, as our example, came to seek and to save that which was lost and how Jesus came, even though he deserved it because he was God and he's the king of kings, but he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve others. We don't have necessarily the time to lay that part of the foundation, so so we're going to kind of go ahead with an assumption, and I know what happens with assumptions. It's very dangerous, but if you'll, if you'll give me some liberty with that, I want, to, I want to just move forward as if we're all on the same page, that God desires every individual to live a selfless life where we are using what God has put inside of us for the benefit of those around us. And uh, even when it's not fun, even when it doesn't get honored, even when it doesn't get reciprocated, but we are here literally as instruments of God to worship him and to lay down our lives for the world around us. And, uh, and that's just kind of like something where I'm going to just say, yeah, we already know all that and we're going to move on from that point, okay? Is that okay if I kind of make that assumption as we go? Convo Church Mission, and I think they're going to put it up behind me. This is something that uh, we, we talk about it in Engage, which we'll be doing session two of Engage after we're done today. And, and uh, last week we had 22 folks in there. It was awesome. We had a great time. Uh, part two today. Um, but we do as a church have a mission. And so, and it is this, leading people in becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ, bringing God's love and his grace into everyday conversations, influencing every sphere of life. So there is a for this mission to happen, like it doesn't just happen because we show up. This mission doesn't happen because it's on a piece of paper or saved on a digital file somewhere. A culture or the mission of a culture happens when you have a very specific culture that pushes you in the direction of fulfilling that mission. And so I want to give you this, you know, oxygen is to life as culture is to mission. Just think about that for a minute. Oxygen is to life, I feel like I'm taking an SAT. As word association, oxygen is to life as culture is to mission. And I even love this quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. I think he hit this one on the head. A nation's culture resides in the hearts and the souls of its people. I think that's very true. And even if we were to look at our nation today and the, the good stuff, but also the significant challenges that we continue to face as a nation, it's because there are broken elements that still exist within our nation's culture, which isn't necessarily a political thing. The political stuff is just a reflection of what's already happening in the hearts of the people in the nation. And so there's something that's got to change inside of us before we get there. Um, but on this, this whole thing of culture leads to mission, I think sometimes if you uh, reverse engineer something and start backing up, you kind of get to where you can start to begin to move forward. You can't always just start where you are. Sometimes you got to back up. And so if you, uh, what you value will feed your culture, and your culture will determine your mission. But let's take it one step further back if we can, because your values are going to be created by your foundation. And your foundation is the non-negotiable standards in your life. So it starts with your foundation, 
and then your foundation will build values inside of you, and then your values will build the culture that exists in your life, and then that culture will ultimately accomplish the mission that feeds in that line. So I'm gonna make it really simple for us today. This is gonna be one of probably the most practical messages that I might preach in a long time. We'll see. I don't know, that's a weird statement. The foundation of a Jesus follower is the Bible. The foundation of a Jesus follower is the Bible. It's the word of God. This is our non-negotiable standard, and we dedicate our life by faith to a greater understanding of what the Bible is saying, who God is through what the Bible teaches us, and learning how to apply what the Bible teaches to our lives in a way that still reflects the heart of God. Because I don't know about you, I've definitely had moments where I've applied the Bible to my life in a way that didn't end up reflecting the heart of God. You know, I felt like, you know, part of my testimony wasn't that I was like a partier and drunk and high all the time and, and laying almost dead in a gutter and then God saved me. And that's not my testimony. My testimony is I grew up in church my entire life. I thought I was better than everybody else. I was a Pharisee that did, did really good at knowing what the Bible said so I could tell other people what they were doing wrong. And God had to show me a reality check of what grace was all about. That's my story. And so I, I still had that value in my life of, yeah, so I gotta know the word, I've gotta know the Bible. But when I began to apply what the Bible was teaching, I didn't apply it to the plank that was in my own eye. I did a good job of applying it to other people and telling them what they needed to do, what they needed to change, how they were messing things up, how they were living against what God wanted for their life. And God's like, man, you're so far off. Why don't you start with how far you are off before you try to tell somebody else how far they are off. And I tell you, it's been one of the most amazing transformations and journeys of my life. But I, the Bible wasn't wrong. I was wrong. And so I went back to the Bible, and it's ironic when you get your heart in the right spot, the same things that you read before, you read them again, and they begin to transform in your eyes. They begin to transform the way that you see things. And so before, instead of me seeing people through the eyes of, of judgment for what they were doing wrong because they were breaking the laws of God, I begin to actually see them through the eyes of Christ, which is an eye of compassion and kindness and mercy. Uh, of love and of grace, the same perspective that caused him to go to the cross for every single one of us because actually I deserve to be on the cross because I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that needed to be punished for what I've done in my life, but Jesus said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this one for you. I'm gonna take this one on me and I'm gonna set you free, but I'm gonna take the punishment. And so all of a sudden, when you begin to see things through the eyes of God and through the compassion and the kindness of God, it begins to transform everything. Can you say it's for the culture? It's for the culture. Y'all know I like, I like a talking church, though. Y'all y'all going to have to help me because I get a little bit more fired up when I hear somebody give me an amen or, or if somebody stands up and points at me, that's just going to push me over the edge. And um, y'all will get to know me. It's okay. It's okay. Every life has a mission. And, uh, and, you know, some people, like, how many of you like to write stuff down? That helps you. Like, if I write this down, you know, and it does, it helps. And, and I like to do that, too. But um, uh, one time I tried to do this diet, uh, and it wasn't just one time. I've actually tried a thousand times. But this one time... It was, it was that one where they tried to encourage you to write down everything you eat. And, uh, and that was great for about a day and a half. And then I started writing down like pizza, um, uh, you know, half a dozen donuts, uh, you know, soda. And, it, and I started to kind of see a pattern that it didn't matter that I was writing it down if I kept doing the same stuff that, it was, that I was trying to change in my life. And so every life is going to have a mission, whether you do it on purpose or whether you do it unintentionally. And so you have a choice to determine what mission your life is actually going to connect to. 
And like I said before, you know, we have a, our, we're going to have a very specific culture within our church that propels us towards the mission that we feel like God has called us to. That's going to make us different from other churches in our city. Not better than other churches in our city, not superior, but different because there is a culture that God is putting in convo that is going to be different from cultures in other churches. Ironically, we ultimately have the same mission. We may, we may verbalize it differently. We may have different mission statements on paper. Uh, but ultimately, um, we don't get to come up with a mission. God already has a mission. He just came up with the church to fulfill his mission. And so ultimately, every church has that, but every church is going to have its own personality, and it's going to have its own culture, and it will connect to different people that other churches won't have the ability to connect with. And we've met with so many people that said, man, coming here, I've tried to go to other churches, but I just haven't connected. I don't know what it is, but here I just feel like it's clicking. I just feel like it's home. And that's not. And I want to tell you, that's not not because the other churches were messed up. That's because God was preparing this place for you. Because we're going to have a specific culture that God has put something inside of you that connects to who we are so that we can link up arm in arm and just take off running. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. You were made for this. You were born for this. And we were born to do this together. Let's keep going. It's for the culture. And uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, I was getting ahead of myself, but I just wanted to say because I was excited about it that you know, seeing 35 people say yes to Jesus in our first three weeks, seeing 10 people discipled, seeing uh, and baptized, seeing people, you know, joining a, the Engage process to get connected here at church and to kind of start that journey of growing your relationship with God. Uh, it's a great start, but again, it's just that. It's just the start. Our world culture is different from the kingdom culture. And uh, the thing that I love about God is that he didn't send Jesus into the world culture to blow it up. <laughs> Which, I mean, if I'm God... I do this all the time because I would be a terrible God. Because if I was God, I'd just be like, reset, bang. <laughs> you know, I created it before, I can create it again. Let's just, you know, I can even speed it up so we don't have to take so long, you know. Um, but God, he said, no. He said, those are my kids, I love them. And, uh, and, and they may, you know, they may be acting out right now, but it's okay, I still love them. I got a plan. And, uh, and I actually love these kids so much that I'm going to give up my only my only. Uh, real kid that is a part of me. I'm willing to, to give my own son's life to be a ransom, and that's going to be the reset button, not blowing everybody up and starting over, but, but I'm actually going to take what, what they deserve, because y'all crazy, y'all been, y'all, y'all kids are crazy out there, and y'all, did, you know what you deserve, but actually I'm not going to put that on you. I'm going to put that on my son, and, uh, and the reset is going to happen with Jesus, and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, and that leads us to accept his forgiveness so that we can realize you know what, I, I know what I did, and there's, maybe there's a lot of people that know what I did. Maybe there's people that don't know what I've done, but I know that through Christ, I'm not just a fixed creation. I'm actually a brand new one, and it gives us that opportunity. First John, um, sorry, not First John, John chapter 1, verse 10, check this out. It says, uh, he is talking about Jesus. He came into the very world he created. It says, but the world didn't recognize him. Isn't that crazy? Why didn't the world recognize who Jesus was? I think there's, a, there's various reasons, but the biggest one is because the world was existing in a different culture that didn't recognize kingdom culture. And so they didn't know who Jesus was. John 3, 16 and 17, you know, many of us have heard this, and, and uh, it's football season, so it's on a lot of poster boards somewhere behind the field goal post. John 3, 16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world. Listen to this. We got to learn this lesson, church. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, 
but to save the world through him. God's entire, listen, this is crazy. God's entire mission was based around changing the culture. His whole mission was giving up his only son for the culture. That's how important culture was to God, that he was willing to go that far of going, I'm all in. Not like, well, I'm gonna tweak a few things, remove a few people, put this over here, because culture's pretty important, so I wanna kinda, it's definitely gone in a different direction. We need to make some changes. No, Jesus said, I'm all in. I'm gonna give my life. I'm going to the cross because culture is so important. But here's the thing, y'all. To change the culture that is around us, we first have to change the culture that is in us. It has to start with us. It's never gonna start with, uh, and, and please, please hear me. Um, if we put this on iTunes, I know I'm gonna get an email from somebody. The culture isn't gonna change because we voted. Do your American duty, do all that, pray and vote your conscience, that's great. But culture's gonna change when you and I decide to change what culture is inside of us. And we decide to realize that our, you know, for those who are in Christ, listen to me, when those, for those who are in Christ, your, 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 your identity is no longer tied to your nationality as a primary source of identity. Because now, I'm first and foremost, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, which radically transforms the way that I see the world. It radically transforms the way that I see people. It radically transforms the way that I live my life. And then outside of that, I'm still, I'm, I'm honored and humbled that I, that I was born in this country, this imperfect country, but yet a country that still has the opportunity to see amazing things happen in our world. Like we still have so much potential. If we would just, let me put it this way, if the church would do its job, not if the politicians would do their job, not if somebody else will do their job, but if the church actually begins to be the church, and that doesn't mean show up on Sunday, that means Monday through Saturday, that we decide that we're gonna be who God says we can be and that we're gonna love the way that God says that we can love and that we're gonna link arms with people that the world says we have no business linking arms with, but God says, no, that's your brother and that's your sister and we can link arms with them and begin to move everybody in a direction that is not, it's not about what we're against, it's about what we're for. But it has to start inside of us. More churches need to be planted not more existing churches need to get bigger. Actually, it's a both and, but we need to plant more churches. That's why Convo Church, that's why we desire in the future to plant more churches out of this church because nothing is more successful at reaching people who don't know Jesus than brand new churches. And part of that is because if the brand new churches don't do that, then no one's gonna show up. <laughs> so it works together. It's a great strategy. Let me, let me tell you about the culture that exists around us. And this isn't anything that's new to you and I. All we have to do is open our eyes and look around and we'll see it. Sometimes we're even a part of it. Acts 2.40, uh, it says, Peter preached to them and, and warned them with these words, be rescued from this wayward and perverse culture of this world. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. I think we see that. Acts 9.29 says he openly debated, this is talking about Paul, he openly debated with some of the Jews who had adopted the Greek culture, uh, yet they were secretly plotting to murder him. Oh my gosh, that escalated. Philippians chapter 2, uh, 14 through 16, it says, live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves, for then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture, for you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe, offering them words of eternal life. That'll preach all by itself right there. Romans 12, 2, I love this one. It says, 
stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think, and that this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. What amazing, amazing verses right there. It just identifies what we already know. We live in a world that has a broken culture. And, uh, and either we can sit around and we can talk about how broken it is and how messed up it is and whose fault it is and, and how, you know, I, I can't believe this younger generation. I can't believe it's not, that's not how it was when I was their age. And, and, or we can say, hey, we just need to lean in together. We, we can do something about this. We can actually love a, a, a generation to a different culture. We can actually love them to a different way of living. We can love people to a breakthrough and a new reality about what is possible. It doesn't have to be through debate. It doesn't have to be through you're wrong and I'm right. It doesn't have to be about opinions, persuasions, or political affiliations. It can be simply through the act of being the light that is inside of us and shining that light of love and grace and kindness to the culture and the world around you. We're talking about foundation, right? What you devote yourself to will determine what you become. And at the same time, what you build on is more important than what you build. What you build on is so much more important than what you build. Our foundation, again, is the word of God, it's the Bible. Uh, It's so crucial for us to establish this foundation as a church now, right now, so that years from now, we're not like, man, what happened? We're, We're not... You know, we're not seeing people get saved. We're not, you know, do, we're not really doing what we set out to do because if we set the tone in the culture now, it will point us in the trajectory of what God set us here to do. And so I want to I talk to you about the Bible a little bit. Yeah, this is going to be one of those moments where basically the preacher just talks about the Bible. Is that, I guess that's okay. I have the microphone, so that's pretty much how it's going to work out this morning anyway. And so I appreciate your grace in that. But here's some things, some facts about the Bible that maybe you know, Maybe you don't know, but the Bible has over 40 authors that compose the Bible. They're shepherds, they're kings, they're scholars, they're fishermen, they're poets, they're military generals. A cupbearer and a priest all penned portions of the scripture. And it was composed over a course of 2,000 years. Can you imagine trying to write something with more than 40 people over the course of 2,000 years that from the beginning to the end has consistent theme, consistent message, consistent uh, ideas of who God is and what God's plan is? Over 400 plus prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament alone. Each one of them, every single one of them came true in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, this, and uh, the probability from a mathematical uh, standpoint of this happening is, is impossible. I actually got some cool numbers here uh, that somebody else did because that's, not, that's just not my bank zone. Anyway, the Old Testament uh, was finished being composed 450 years before the birth of Christ. And so imagine having all of these 400 plus prophecies that were written about you between 2,500 and 450 years before you were ever born. And so here's the probability of eight prophecies within that time frame about your life being uh, coming true in your life. It is one in 100 quadrillion. Y'all see the zeros? That's the chance of eight prophecies. Almost did that. I don't know why I almost did that. That's four. Four times two. That's the chance of, of eight prophecies being fulfilled in your life between that time frame. Um, let's, let's crank it up a little bit higher. How about the chances of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in that same context? Is one in 10 to the 157th power. 
I'm just going to shout out to my son right now who had to come here this morning and see in the notes that I actually wanted him to do out 157 zeros. And uh, he did it. Good job, buddy. I love you. I'm so proud of you. That's the chance of 48 prophecies of Jesus from 2,500 years to 450 years before he was born coming true. That's the chance. You have a much, much, much better chance of us pulling together and going out and crushing that Mega Millions jackpot. Or was it Super Bowl, Mega Millions? I don't know. It's a lot of money out there that somebody's waiting to get. We would have much better odds doing that than of having 48 prophecies of Jesus' life coming true, but he had 400, and we just don't have enough space on the screen to write that many zeros within that probability of what it took for every single one of those words about Jesus' life to come true. Check this out. The Bible continues to be the all-time bestseller of all time, which is why all time came first. Guinness Records reports that two and a half billion Bibles were printed between 1815 and 1975. The Economist estimates that more than 100 million Bibles are printed every year, making uh, a staggering total of over 6 billion Bibles in print currently. Uh, In 2005 alone, the New Yorker reported that over 25 million Bibles were purchased in the United States alone. Barner Research Group says that over 92% of all American households, which I still kind of find this shocking and surprising, have at least one Bible and sometimes typically three Bibles in their home at any given time. Whether they can find them or not, it doesn't say, but it says they have anywhere from one to three Bibles in their home, which means that 25 million Bibles are being sold to homes that already have anywhere from one to three Bibles. Bibles already in their homes. The Bible is the most sought-after book around the world. There are still countries where it is illegal to own a Bible. Uh, there are still places where if you are caught with it, it could mean losing your life. The Bible is the most banned, burned, and bought book in the world. Technology showed up, and there's a beautiful local church called Life Church out of the Midwest. Pastor Craig Rochelle is one of my heroes, and it's not just because he has an amazing first name, but his church invented the, the Version Bible app. Back when, y'all remember back in, I think it was the early 2000s, I don't know what year, when apps came out, you know what I mean? Like when we first started having apps. And uh, in their church, which was a small starting church at the time, they're like, what if we just, they were thinking about their own people. What if we just made an app that our own people in our church could download and, and, uh, and they would be able to have the Bible on their phone, that would be cool. And literally when the app stores launched, within the first week, they had 150,000 downloads of the YouVersion Bible app. And they said, oh my goodness, we may be onto something here. And this is still a product of their local church. And since then, they are now up to over 300 million people have downloaded this app around the world. It exists in over 1,093 languages. There are 1,523 versions available for different languages in various dialects around the world. So why do I tell you all this? Um, because healthy things grow and produce healthy fruit. There's no religious book on the planet, ever has been or ever will be, that has the prominence, the impact, the success, and even the outright attack against it, like the word of God, yet it continues to expand like wildfire. I love stories of countries, and, uh, and, uh, and I've heard this story so many times, even from China and some others in Asia and Southeast Asia, where it is still very, if not completely illegal, still very sketchy and dangerous to own a Bible, where there are literally churches that are much bigger than we'll ever be, doing much more than we could dream of doing, that have one Bible that they will literally rip into sections and pass it around so that everybody has a chance to get the Bible. And man, that just humbles me and it blows my mind. Now here's, check this out, kind of on the flip side of this, Christianity today, 
uh, Christianity Today says, um, published an article not too long ago saying that 45%, this has to do with, with Christians in America reading their Bibles, 45% of regular church attending Christians read their Bibles two to three times per month. And one in five Christians, 20%, uh, claim to have never read their Bibles once in their life. And so here's a question. So this, we're not, I'm not bringing this stuff up to kind of shame people into reading the Bible. That's not how we do. We, we focus on inspiring, encouraging, and building. But sometimes we got to get to the facts so that we can get back to the foundation so that we can begin to build. Does that make sense? And uh, so, but the question that we have to, uh, to, to honestly and authentically ask ourselves is, um, are we setting ourselves up for success to have the values which will build the culture, which will accomplish the mission if we don't have the foundation? Following Christ without God's word is like driving a car with your eyes closed. Or I don't know if anyone's ever been to Ikea and bought furniture. It's like trying to put together furniture without the instruction manual. I have, I've done it with the instruction manual and it still didn't work. So it's the same context. And, and so if, we, if we're able to take that perspective and look at, you know, it's like God gave us this and he didn't give us this so we could use it as a, as a weapon against people, although it has been done. God didn't give us his word so that we could uh, use it to debate our own opinions between other people, even though it has been done. God didn't use uh, the word of God to be taken out of context to, to approve of and propagate uh, different things throughout our culture, which has been done. He gave us this so it would be a light to our feet, a light to our past, so it would give us hope for our future, so it would give us instruction and direction. And the last things I wanna give you as we wrap up uh, right now and, and I apologize, I'm over time because I think I'm a little bit passionate about this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I'm not going to talk through six because that makes people nervous. I'm going to read these six things right now. And uh, if you can write these things down, they're great. There are, there are six declarations that I believe every single one of us needs to establish our own foundation so that we can begin to build the values in our life that will honor God and will build our lives that God's created us to, that will help us have the culture that we need, and that will ultimately allow us together to create the mission. Here's the first one. A declaration is something that I encourage you that when you get up in the morning, grab your Bible and say these out loud because the power of our words is so, is so incredible. You can speak a new reality into your life just by what you say. Here's the first one. The word is my foundation. I'm not gonna read these scriptures that along with it, but I encourage you to write the scripture reference down. The word is my foundation. You grab it in the morning. God, I just declare today that your word is my foundation. The second one, the word is my light. The word is my light. God, I don't always know what to do, but you gave me your word and your word is my light so I know where to walk. I know what decisions to make. I know how to respond to difficult situations. I know how to treat people. Number three, my word, uh, the word is my confidence. The word is my confidence. My confidence is in what people say to me. That my confidence comes from God, what you say about me. Number four, the word is my strength. My strength doesn't come from how other people make me feel. My strength doesn't come from what I earn and how much money I make. My strength doesn't come from any of those things. My strength comes from the word. Number five, the word is my truth. We have never lived in a day and age where defining and understanding truth has been so important. Truth has been hijacked and God desires to come in and change the culture. He gave us his word, he gave it to us for the culture. And then lastly, number six, the word is my weapon. 
This is where Christians got to be careful. We're like, yeah, it's my, it's my sword. It's my weapon to use against the principalities and the powers of evil and darkness, not against the person that you disagree with, not against the person that looks different than you, not against the person that may vote different than you, not against the person that hurts you. Because when you actually use the, the sword correctly, the damage that you do is against the devil. And the fruit that's produced from that is actually a new relationship with those that maybe we shouldn't even have any business having that relationship with. Last right here, I just want to end with this quote from uh, Pastor Rick Warren. He says, reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. It defeats temptation. It infuses hope. It releases power. It cleanses the mind. This is the foundation that not just Convo Church, but I pray that you and I both in our personal lives will say, this is going to be my foundation. This is what I'm going to build my life on. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.